0: Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Learning Out Loud. Today, we're joined by Caitlin Anderson, a 2012 graduate of UVA and co-founder of Thinkly Solutions. Thinkly Solutions is focused on reducing wasted time spent in meetings, through interactive workshops, and meeting optimization strategies. These strategies are born out of Caitlin's time spent working for large corporations such as Uber and IBM. We spoke with Caitlin about the genesis of her idea, challenges she faces as a co-founder with no employees, and how her time abroad in China impacted the way she looks at business. Enjoy. Just to start off, something that we've been asking most of the guests is if you can give us a two or five minute overview about um, kind of your background coming out of Virginia and then how you ended up where you are today.
1: Yeah, sure. So I guess if I could start a little bit earlier than that, I am from a very rural part of Virginia. So my high school was actually only 50 kids in my graduating class from the only high school in my county. Um, So I think that's pretty unique. And um, I was the only one that went to UVA from my school. So, you know, I didn't really have a network going into it. And I was also the first person in my family to go to college. So first generation college students. So um, going to UVA was just a really big deal for me, um, and I had a really great experience there. And straight from UVA, I ended up getting a job with IBM, uh, doing government consulting. So I moved up to the DC area for that, and I I did that for about seven years or so um, in various projects, various roles, and then I ended up going to Uber actually for a couple of years. And I did regulatory operations um, at Uber. And I was there for about a year and a half, but then COVID kind of changed everything. And so um, I ended up actually going back to IBM because they had a new big program and they offered me the position to come back and lead it. So I did decide to do that. And I came back for I, to IBM for a couple of years. And while I was there, I just ended up meeting my now business partner. Well, I knew her before, but getting to work with her more closely and finding um, something that we were really passionate about. And we decided to take a big risk and leave IBM together and start a company which is called Thinkly Solutions. So we're we're still very early. We just started it earlier this year, but it is trying to focus on helping companies collaborate better and just make the most of the time that they're spending in their meetings and just sort of rethink their approach to meetings um, is our overall focus. Um, and I guess just to give a little bit more details about why I decided I wanted to start a company be, like, that's doing this, um, I just found you know both from Uber and IBM and just everyone I talked to, I think it's a consensus that people hate meetings. And so it's something that I think obviously needs to be fixed and, and there's some room there for improvement, for some disruption. And while I was at IBM, I just found, especially in circumstances where there was a really complex problem to solve or there were a lot of people that needed to align on something, a normal meeting just wasn't achieving those goals. It was just a lot of open discussion. You'd get to the end of the meeting and nothing would have been decided on and you need to schedule another meeting. And so my now business partner and I started designing and facilitating more like interactive workshop style meetings. So using online whiteboard tools um, to do different ways of brainstorming and just making it so that you always ended with actionable um, takeaway items. And so we just really, really enjoyed those kinds of workshops. So we wanted to try to bring that to more companies, more teams, and we broadened it even more now. And we're trying to offer just like overall meeting revamp, meeting audit, meeting culture evaluation type services.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. awesome. Um, I mean, just in the limited interaction I've had in kind of the corporate environment, the meetings definitely take up a lot of time. And I actually saw something that was like, if you had then you know the dollar amount for the total number of hours and rates for each of the people in the meetings a lot of the meetings probably wouldn't be scheduled in the first place so that definitely um, resonates
1: yes there's there's so many statistics out there about the cost of bad meetings the cost of unproductive meetings you can put the dollar value on them like you're talking about but i think there's also a cost that can be overlooked just on employee like burnout employee morale. Um, and just, it, it does end up impacting work-life balance too, right? Because if you're spending so much of your day in meetings, well, when are you actually going to do your work? Like, when are you going to do the things that you need to do to, to move things along? Um, so, so yeah, a, a huge cost to unproductive meetings. And I think it fits in well with what you're trying to do with this podcast, because, at least when I was at UVA, um, and in my early stages of career, it, there wasn't really a focus on how do you have effective, productive meetings. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's something that a lot of people could could use and benefit from.
2: Yeah, I definitely think that's something that's overlooked for for sure. Um, before we like go more into the actual company, I was just interested in um, your thought process when you said that you took a really big risk when you decided to leave IBM. That's definitely a common um, trend that we've heard from many people um, just taking that big risk. And we're just interested in hearing that decision-making process. So,
1: Yeah, sure. It was a really tough decision. It wasn't a decision I made lightly at all. I really enjoyed my time at IBM. I had an amazing client. I had a great team, and so as I was considering leaving, I've had many times where I was like, wait, am I am I crazy for leaving this kind of situation? But ultimately, I'm just someone who is always looking for the next thing to learn, the next challenge to face. And then, as I said, I had found something that I really enjoy doing. And I think it's something where, I would be able to come in, help a company with their meeting culture, give them a solution, give them things to do, and then I can I can move on to the next thing. And that's sort of an exciting environment and something I wanted to try to make the role for myself to be. Um, and so and it's it's kind of funny though, because I was never really someone who ever thought about starting my own company um but i just I, I i found this thing that i thought could be a good idea and i just i couldn't stop thinking about it basically and couldn't stop thinking about you know it, even if it doesn't work out i felt like i needed to try it and so i had a really strong support system you know my family um and it was just a good time in my life to take this kind of risk so i weighed a lot of those things just about what I was passionate passionate about, what I wanted to do in a dream sort of role for myself, but also, you know, making sure it was the right thing for my family and and the people around me.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and that's also definitely been a common theme as well. That um, a lot of times people aren't necessarily looking for a problem, but instead it kind of just comes to them and the idea comes to them. Um, We've definitely seen that with a lot of the people that we've been talking to. So it's good to hear again.
3: Yes. Were were you working on the idea while you were still working at IBM or did you like quit and then just, you know, start it?
1: Um, So my business partner and I built out, I mean, a very basic business plan on, what we thought we wanted to offer that's changed a lot since we originally were doing that but we were doing that on our own time while we were still at ibm i did have some conversations sort of like informational interviews with different contacts just trying to get a feel for hey do you think that this is a need do you see this do you see companies wanting to buy this type of service. So did like a little bit of market research. Um, But in terms of actually getting the business set up, doing the paperwork, making the website, really starting to market ourselves, we didn't do that until we had fully left IBM. Um, And so, I mean, that's, that's been hard too, because we started it knowing for the first few months, we aren't going to have any income because we, we didn't leave our jobs with anything in hand. So it was, it was definitely a risk, but here's to hoping it pays off.
3: (laughs) You think that risk motivates you? Like are you that type of person that you gotta, you have nowhere to turn, but just to make this work.
1: Yeah. It's something I've actually been thinking about a lot lately. Um, And it, it definitely does drive me, but I'm just someone who, I've always kind of been that perfectionist, like super planner. And so I do have a little bit of that fear of failure. And so while I keep telling myself, you know, hey, if this doesn't work out, that's totally fine. I'll, I'll get another job. I'll go back to a regular corporate life and it'll be fine. But then there's that other part of me that like, just doesn't want to fail. Um, So that's a big driver for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, we were talking about how we've heard a lot from different guests in the past about how you should start with the problem and then find the solution based on that. And that's kind of what Marley was talking about before. So, the nature of the problem of number of meetings and ineffective meetings was that a similar problem or a similar way that that was going, that was happening at Uber and at IBM? Or were those two different ways that meetings were kind of being misused?
1: Yeah, um, it's it's actually interesting that you say that though, because I, I do think that when we first decided to leave and start this business, we were doing it based on a solution and not digging deeper to the actual problem. So we were offering a solution of workshops or working sessions um, because that was something we had done at IBM to solve a problem of a never-ending cycle of meetings about the same problem where you just weren't getting anywhere you were you were spinning your wheels, you were stuck so we had come up with that solution. but I think what we've realized now is it's hard to sell to people by just saying like hey, we offer this, these workshops this solution and they're like okay but like what's what's my problem like because you know you a, a workshop works if you have a very specific thing but when you're just trying to contact people out of the blue like you aren't able to say hey i i know you probably have this problem Um, And so that is one reason why we've broadened our offerings to be like, hey, we know the problem is that people are spending too much time in meetings that aren't productive. And we have a lot of data about that. So what can we do to help? Um, And some of that is like, maybe we just need to help companies evaluate their meetings and maybe some just need to be canceled. Um, Maybe some need to be revamped, but they still need, it's still fine being the traditional meeting, but they just need better facilitation or or better agendas or whatever the case may be. But then there is that third prong of, okay, sometimes when you have certain types of problems that you're facing, maybe that is when you can consider workshops. So I don't know, hopefully that answered your question a little bit long-winded, but sort of the path that we've taken from realizing we started a little too much with just trying to push a a solution on people without um, getting to the root problem.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great insight.
2: So I know that the company is very new. You mentioned that in the beginning. So what does the solution actually look like right now? Um, Like, how
1: are you guys helping the meetings right now? Yeah. So, so right now we um, are in the process of of getting our first contract. I don't wanna give too much away, but very excited about it. And it is someone who just already recognizes the value of workshops themselves. Um, So bringing us in to facilitate certain types of workshops for a project. Um, We are refocusing our offering um, in the way I was just talking about to be a little bit more focused on helping teams examine their meeting culture. And that still might look like a workshop format where we come in, we design some activities to say, what is going well with the meetings you currently have on your calendar? What's not going so well? Um, You know, how much time are people in meetings? Um, Do you feel like you have time to do your work? And sort of getting that feedback from teams and helping them establish they're meeting norms. Um, So at what point do you actually decide you need a meeting versus an email? So maybe if you're just purely sharing information, you probably don't need a meeting for that. So helping teams come up with those meeting systems in a collaborative way um, is, is one offering and then the training part of it too. So coming in maybe for new hires, maybe for new managers, And offering training solutions for how to manage, how to um, facilitate, how to design more effective meetings. So are
2: you the person that's going to be working on all this or do you have other people working for you that will be doing that type of stuff?
1: Yeah, so currently it is just me and my business partner. Um, Would be lovely if we get to the point where we can hire someone else, but for now, it is just the two of us, but I also think for now, that's a good selling point for us too, because it is the two of us. It is, we're very passionate about it. If you hired our company, you know, you're not going to get passed back and forth between a salesperson, a support person, like it's us. We're going to do everything we can to, you know, get to a solution that works for our customers. Um, So yeah, just, just us for now. Ideally, of course, we would like to have some sort of passive um, revenue stream. So maybe selling some of our training modules online um, that so that we don't always have to be physically present for all of the work that we do.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then so as far as the solution in terms of the workshops, does that differ whether it's in person or it's on you know a Zoom format like we're doing now?
1: Yeah, so we can facilitate all of our workshops remotely because we do use online whiteboard tools, so like Miro, like Mural, um, and with so many companies being hybrid or remote, um, I think that's a really good solution and something that we say is that this actually helps with the level of engagement because a lot of meetings, it's the loudest person on the call or the loudest person in the room that is sharing all of their ideas. And maybe other people don't feel as comfortable speaking up. Um And so doing things in online whiteboard tools, you know, it just allows more people you like use little sticky notes um, on on the screen, and more people can share their ideas, more people can, you know, have their voices quote unquote heard so it just sort of it levels the playing field a little bit for teams too um but it, that being said if a company does really want a workshop to be held in person that's definitely something that we're open to um but we just say we when we were at IBM we did all of this remotely so we know it can work
2: mm-hmm.
1: So what are some of the
2: other lessons that it could be positive or negative that you learned um, at your time at IBM and Uber? I also know that you had some international experience. I'm sure that there was a lot learned there.
1: Yeah, um, I can talk about the international experience because I think that was pretty unique. Um, And just to give a little bit of background and context into that, IBM has or at least had, I'm actually not sure of the current status, but it's a program called Corporate Service Corps. And it's a leadership program. You have to apply and, and be selected to go. And then once you're selected, you get put on an international pro bono consulting project. Um, and so I, I was accepted to the program and I went to Chengdu, China for a month and we did pro bono consulting services for a, um, an incubator for startups actually. Um, and so they were really focused on trying to help more younger people start businesses to help with their youth unemployment rate. Um, and so we helped this incubator just sort of examine some of their processes and come up with some solutions for them um, for ways that they could improve based on we did a lot of best practices research into things like Y Combinator and stuff in the in the US Um but the experience itself was just really transformative because it was it was really hard to be in a foreign country for a month but not just for travel for fun you're there to work so we had translators with us at all times we would do design thinking sessions and they would do their sticky notes but we the translators would have to translate every single sticky note um so it was a it was a really interesting process but just like got out of my comfort zone so much and just was able to find ways to communicate even if you couldn't exactly find the right words like just still finding that connection with other people was, I don't know, it, it was like really special. And again, I, in my normal job, my normal life, I knew what to expect every day. When I was in China, that wasn't the case. I had a completely new team, new clients, new everything um, thrown at me. And I'm a huge planner. So so it, it was hard for me. Um, and... I think just also I learned, I was only there for a month and it was a pretty big ask of just trying to help them be a better startup incubator. And so just, you know, and things moved more, moved slowly with not speaking the same language. And so just learning about how you have to make the best decisions you can based on the information that you have at that point in time and then just be able to adapt as things start moving forward or as things start unfolding. And that's definitely something I've experienced now with trying to start a business is I don't know everything and I just I just have to make the best decision I can and and then I have I, I can pivot if I need to. Um so and another thing I learned how to do was how to use chopsticks because I <laughs> I did not know how to use chopsticks um, when I went and then it was, you know, learn how to use chopsticks or starve. So that was another life lesson <laughs> that that I brought back.
3: <laughs> do you, do you, do you experience with the startups helped you with your startup or, you know, you said you implemented some like designs and strategies and stuff?
1: Um, I honestly, probably not that much because it was more from the perspective of like, I don't know what this company was doing to support startups and like how they could get them funding. And at what point did they graduate the startup incubator? And so it it was a different lens and I haven't found any of those specific things, super applicable, but also some of our recommendations were pretty basic things to them. Um, I mean, at, at least to, like, a project manager like myself, basic, like, things like using Trello or some sort of project tracking tool to keep track of things. Um, So, it's just things like that that you may take for granted that everyone knows, but they don't. So, it was some of that kind of
0: stuff, too. Interesting, yeah. So, how long ago did you start uh, Thinkly Solutions at this point?
1: It was like I filed the official paperwork in January this year. Um, I think we officially like launched our first version of our website in maybe February or March. Um, And yeah, it took some time to reevaluate our offerings. We've continued to do a lot of informational interviews over these past few months, which is how we realized like, oh, we maybe need to pivot from saying we're purely workshop designers and facilitators. Um, so it feels like it's been a long time, but also a very short time at the same time.
2: (laughs) Can you talk a little bit more about that experience of doing informational interviews to kind of gather the data yourself? Um, that's another thing that we've definitely heard that it's obviously super beneficial to talk to the people that would be using what you're creating. And sometimes you realize that your initial solution, um, isn't exactly what your audience wants. So I think that that'd be good to hear.
1: Yeah, um, so I've done informational interviews with a wide range of people. I mean, I ask my husband on like a daily basis questions, but also um, colleagues who are at other consulting companies or not consulting companies, um, former friends from IBM and Uber, I've also done cold reach outs on LinkedIn and just said, like, hey, any chance you'd be willing to talk to me about your meeting culture or your pain points when it comes to collaboration? And people have very graciously offered their time to me, which has been amazing, Um, because I do need to make sure I'm not only thinking about things that I personally experienced at IBM or Uber, but... What is it like in other companies too? And and what are those common pain points? So, you know, I have a list of questions, but I really just end up going where the conversation goes. Usually start by asking something about, just tell me about the meeting culture at your company. Um, And then just kind of going from there, hearing from people about, I talked to one person who um, told me that, his company had implemented like five different types of meeting structures um and they had tried one and then they realized oh you know this isn't working let's try this different structure so that was cool to me because i honestly hadn't really heard about anyone formally even implementing meeting structures um but then also that he was willing to throw it out and try something new when that wasn't working um, so I've heard about people that have meeting structures, people that just feel like their meetings are all over the place. Um, and then just like also reading a lot of articles, books, listening to podcasts and just taking all of that in and figuring out, okay, what could I do that could broadly solve these pain points and and what are the common ones?
0: Gotcha. So um, I'm curious, just for the team stru- structure perspective, how do you delegate tasks between yourself and your co-founder? And do you guys have similar skill sets and backgrounds going in, or do you each have a kind of niche that you try and stick to?
1: Yeah, um, we actually use Trello. So huge, huge shout out to Trello. We have a Trello board with our backlog, our to-do list, what's in progress and what we've finished. So we typically meet... um every few days or so just to reevaluate, okay, is this still a priority? Do we need to move this back? Um, And like assigning who is going to take responsibility for certain things. Right now, since we are still so early, we're both trying to learn everything about all aspects of the business, since it is just the two of us. But I think at some point there probably will be that more natural split of starting to take ownership for certain things like more administrative things or more business development things. But right now we're kind of both doing a little bit of of everything just so we can learn. Um, as far as our skill sets, we we both recently did something called the highlands ability battery i don't know if you're familiar with it but it is kind of like the like myers-briggs kinds of assessment where where you take a test and then at the end it says oh you're categorized as this type of person you probably have these types of skills but it was a little bit different because instead of just always rating yourself of, I think in this situation I would do this or I feel like I'm best in this way, it was actually um, like it had a vocabulary test section, it had a section about visual, like spatial recognition, like, okay, here's this 3D image, which one of these images is this image rotated a certain way? And so it it actually tested your natural abilities. So my business partner and I both took that and then we had a coach walk us through the results and compare them. And so from that, it was really interesting to see it laid out. It, it, it was things that we'd already noticed about ourselves and about our differences and about our similarities. But then this test clearly said like, this is maybe why things are this way. So just one example is I my results came back that I'm a specialist versus hers came back that she's a strong generalist. So that like for me means I don't want to put myself in any situation where I don't feel like I'm an expert. So I feel like I need to do so much research. I need to learn as much as I can about anything before I put myself in a situation of advising someone else on what to do or speaking about that topic whereas my partner who's more of a generalist has more of the like oh like i have a lot of general skills so i think i could figure it out like if if someone asked me to do this thing i could figure it out and she feels comfortable and i don't feel comfortable in that so um you know that's played out a little bit in the kinds of things we want to offer for our business because i think she's okay going a little more broad while I want to be a little bit more specialized. Um, so there's there's interesting things like that where we do differ, but then other things where we're similar. Um, one thing, I guess, a learning moment for both of us is neither of us enjoy sales, which is not good when you're starting a business and not something I fully thought through of having to talk to people I don't know and try to convince them why I am so great and why they should hire me. So that's something we're both learning.
2: (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Oh,
2: No,
0: sorry. That's a very interesting way to kind of systematize that process rather than it just kind of unfolding on its own.
2: Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. How did you get the idea to do that? Have you seen somebody else do it like that or you just thought of that yourself?
1: No, it's so where we are right now, we're so open to talking to everyone and anyone right like we are just trying to learn as much as we can from people make as many connections as you can because you never know what's going to lead to something else so my partner's neighbor is actually a coach for this assessment and so she offered to um my business partner to give us a couple of her codes and then to coach us through it and we just said sure why not? And so we did it, Um, but it has ended up being very helpful because I think there are some times where maybe we're like, wait, why, why do you want to do it that way? And we're able to think back to like, oh, I remember it's because they're this type of person and this is just how they see things and this is just how they solve problems. So it's helpful. Um, So I recommend it to to other people in working situations, teams, just to get a better understanding of how people see things differently than you do.
2: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense for sure. And there's definitely like a lot of benefits. Like you were just saying, the one thing that I keep thinking about though is like if I defined myself, or like if I knew that something defined me as like a specialist, then I like might kind of like, trap myself into that one role and like not be willing to say oh well now I actually maybe I've grown and like now I'm a generalist but I feel like you could always like retake the test or whatever a few months later or a year later and see how
1: you've changed maybe that would be helpful yeah but I guess I would actually argue the opposite just from my experience with it um because it came back that I'm a specialist and it gave me the description of what that means I'm better able to recognize when I am exhibiting those types of behaviors and when I am limiting myself. And so I, it sort of actually enabled me to coach myself out of those situations and be more open to other things because I catch myself falling in the specialist trap and yeah, being able to recognize it helps me sort of push against it sometimes when it makes sense.
3: I like that, that makes a lot. Sense. Yeah. yeah. Like so I'm curious, like, so how you guys, you know, being you said that sales maybe isn't your uh, <laughs> favorite, the both of you, like, how are you guys working on tackling that that issue?
1: Yes, we are joining some networking groups. Um, so we've been going to a few in, in the DC area that have been really great. Um, as a new way to meet people who are in similar. Types of fields. So, you know, a lot of design thinking type of things or just more strategy innovation type of consultants. So, going to those, just always asking people, like, hey, would you be interested in setting up a coffee chat and getting to know each other better? Um, that's sort of more of the informal ways we've done some cold reach outs on LinkedIn. Uh, and but we have been relying on our network a lot too of reaching out to them explaining what we do asking them to keep us in mind we you know sending people our website sending our one pager and it's really really uncomfortable and but it's just something we kind of have to encourage each other like I'll hit a moment where I just I'm like I don't want to send this email to this person it just feels too weird and my business partner will coach me through it and get me to hit send and I'll do the same for her in situations so just recognizing that it's not something that either of us are comfortable with but it's something we have to do if we want this to work um and doing as much as we can to put ourselves in situations where it does feel more comfortable and then pushing ourselves through the more, the, the tougher ones.
0: Well, if you'd like to share any of the materials with us, we'd be happy. Yeah, there. I was thinking. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: Definitely. And, so-
1: I, and I I have found, and and people have told me this, um, the sales cycle is quite long, especially when you're not selling a product that someone can just easily buy. You're you're selling a service, you're selling a project, you're selling yourself. And so I have seen over the past few months people that I've told about my company that at the time were like, oh yeah, that's cool, wish you the best. I'll start getting texts from them that's that they're like, hey, I was sitting in this meeting and it sucked. And I thought of you, like, I think my company could use you. And I'm like, cool, like- yeah, keep me in mind. And so it is things that like, even though sometimes I feel like conversations maybe were a bust, it is, it is people are thinking about me and keeping me in mind. And so I'm hoping that will continue to happen and and things will come from it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So now that you've, you're kind of entering the first agreement that you have with a company, how are you planning on kind Of managing that with the two of you, and then when are you going to think that it's time to kind of branch into you could have people underneath you that are managing these things? Like, what's the future of Thinkly in that regard?
1: Yeah, um, it's, it's a good question. Um, the this contract is pretty small, which is good and bad, right? It's small from you know revenue perspective, but also small and is good for us right now because we can keep doing our reach out, our marketing. Um, can keep trying to figure out what other companies we can get in with. Um, We have both, uh, we did like a little workshop for ourselves, actually, that was kind of like one year, five year, 10 years, where do we see us being? Um, I would say hiring someone, unless things just just go crazy and people start hiring us um, more than we would ever expect it. I would say hiring someone probably isn't for a few years out, because we do just both want to feel stable with the revenue that we're bringing in before we take on that financial risk of being responsible for someone else's salary and things like that. So I think hiring is a little ways out for us, um, but something that we, we do hope to get to at some point. And I think just really open communication with each other continuing to revisit our trello boards and really we will probably have to do more of that splitting up of responsibilities like you were asking about earlier um we won't be able to both have our hands on anything we'll just have to say i trust you to do that invoice i trust you to make this website update so um we'll have to get more into that i think
0: yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and I, I like the way that you have all these systems in place mm-hmm. where you have, you know, what are our traits? What are we looking for? Are there any other examples you have of things that you've done to try and set those expectations early on?
1: Um, let's see. I mean, we, we do just often do workshops for ourselves of like, okay, what do we want out of this? Or we've done some persona workshops of, okay, who do we think our ideal customer is what is their job what could we help them do so just trying to practice what we preach I guess um so bringing um those more collaborative workshops and trying to push ourselves to think differently about things focus on the root problem of things um is something that we keep coming back to whenever we maybe feel like we're getting a little stuck or don't know which direction to go
0: yeah yeah, definitely. So we
1: actually did one earlier this week, like we did a prioritization session for ourselves where we put all of the sticky notes up of, we have all of these ideas of ways that we could spend our time um, and we categorize them. And then we used a um, an impact versus effort matrix and said, okay, how much impact do we think X activity would have and what is the effort to do it. Um, so trying to figure out like, is it high impact, but low effort? Like, yes, let's do that right now. We're immediately bringing that to our to-do list. But those things that we don't really know if they'd be that valuable and there may be a lot of work, Like, we're not gonna do that right now. Um, so those those types of activities have been helpful and and it's also again things that we would do for other companies in a workshop
0: yeah that's yeah. great
1: I like that a lot um
2: the impact versus effect because I feel like a lot of times um like you know that you have so many things that you want to do like in your head and even if you have it written down but like you don't have the order of yeah. when you're doing it so before you even said that that you were going to bring it to companies I was like wait that's a really good idea <laughs>
1: Yeah, it, it is helpful um for me. And I'm like, maybe I should bring this into my personal life too, actually, um, just to, to get a bit more organized.
2: Yeah, is there a lot of other crossovers that you want to bring to companies that
1: you already do in your personal life? Um, let's see. The prioritization one is a big one. I, I would just say like the focusing on who is the actual user that you're solving for and like what is the actual problem um again I talked through how that's something we went through right where we realized like hey we need to we need to come back to what the actual problem is and and who's experiencing that and I think that's something I saw at other companies and I did workshops like this too where people just jump right to a solution um, but if you take a few steps back and you think about like, what are you actually fixing and who is it for, um, you know, you, you're less likely to spend time and money developing something that will ultimately fail because you didn't think about the people who are actually going to use it.
0: Yeah. So I have, I have a question about, because you mentioned that you're a little bit of a perfectionist and. I can speak for myself. I think I have a little bit of that. And we all do. Yeah. yeah. So
1: <laughs> UVA in us, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm curious about now that you've started the company and you know, it's you're kind of on your own to some extent. How does how do you manage like kind of turning it off and having some semblance of a work-life balance in the early stages when it could just be go, go, go?
1: Yeah. Um, it's something that I've had to be very aware. Of And I do still find myself some nights, I'm like, well, I'm just sitting on the couch watching TV, like, maybe I could make an Instagram post for my business, or maybe I could do this. And I think some amount of that is fine. But I had someone tell me um, a quote that's really stuck with me. And it was just remember that you own your business, your business doesn't own you. And so I just have to sort of recenter myself sometimes. Of one of the reasons I started this, it, it was because I, I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to see if I could do this, but it was also to have a little bit more flexibility in my life, to be able to travel to see my family more, um, and to be able to you know to spend more time with people that I care about. And so when I recenter to that, I'm like wait, I, I didn't leave a busy consulting job to not spend time with the people I care about. That just sort of helps ground me, I guess, and, and bring me back from like, because otherwise I could research things and I could do things nonstop.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, that that definitely resonates with us. So appreciate you sharing that.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. So towards the end of the podcast, we have a, a set of questions that we like to ask each guest and try and collect those data points on their answers. Um, So one of them, I think we've gone into it a little bit throughout, but if there are any particular pain points that you have in the early stages of founding a company, we'd love to hear about that and kind of better understand that process.
1: <laughs> yeah. A really big pain point for me is just that I didn't feel like there's Clear guidance anywhere when it comes to how to set up an LLC or should you be choosing an LLC or what type of company and where should you register your company and what kind of taxes will you be expected to pay. So we had a lot of time at the beginning where we would hear, oh, you need to meet with an accountant. So you make sure you're setting that stuff up right. So we meet with an accountant and then the accountant would say, you need to meet with a lawyer to tell you the like, the best way to do it. And so it just, I, I think that's like one of the biggest frustrations for me is that it just doesn't feel like there's clear guidance. And going back to someone who's a perfectionist, I felt really nervous that I was going to choose the wrong way to set something up. Um, And so that was just a big pain point for me of not knowing the right way to go about doing things. And I'm sure I'll keep encountering a lot of hurdles like that, but just, just, I felt like there's not a lot of clear guidance for small businesses. And I, I would like to see there be some, there be more for that because I think small businesses are really important. So I would like people to feel more supported. <laughs>
2: I'm honestly surprised that no one else has mentioned that before, but it's definitely a really good point. And I think that really the only support that you have is talking to other people who have been in um, similar shoes. So
1: Yeah, which I, I've done a lot of asking other people what they've done. <laughs> and one of my friends told me she was like you just again, you just have to make the best decisions you can with the information you have and she was like chances are the IRS isn't going to come and put you in jail so just yes. you <laughs> do your <best." laughs>
0: Definitely. Yeah, I mean, just the uh the knowledge that the information is out there, but that there's so much of it and you're not sure where to go that can definitely be frustrating, so yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure which sources to trust. Um, and, you know, things are being updated all the time, new laws. So it's it's hard to keep up with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So then we also wanted to hear about how, how you define success and then how you interact with that definition. It seems like you're someone who kind of has what their priorities and what they think of the world in a certain way. So how do you interact with that on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, I think, It's a really hard question. Um, I think there's, for me, like a few different levels of success. So like there's a personal level of success for me, which is spending time with the people I care about and being able to help them when they need help and being able to do things that I think make the world a better place. So volunteering or, or whatever that may be. Um, and, and just doing things that I enjoy. And of course, in, or, in order to be able to do those things, you need, you need income. So, um, so, you know, being able to provide for myself so I can do those sorts of things, um, which right now for me is Thinkly Solutions. And so success for me for Thinkly looks like being able to to provide for myself enough that I can do the other things in my life that are important to me. Um, and I do want to feel challenged and I do want to help other companies. I am passionate about that. That does bring me joy, but at the end of the day, I'm not trying to have Thinkly solutions become this huge company with thousands of employees. That's not ultimately my goal or what I would define as success, if that makes sense.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Learning Out Loud. If you found anything useful, please share with a friend to help us grow. We'd also appreciate it if you could rate us five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next week with a new episode.